VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. The Champions League is back and so are we. Today we'll be discussing all four English teams and their efforts in this week's competition. We'll also be looking at the other things that we spotted during the week's action and we'll be looking ahead to a massive week in the Premier League this weekend. Joining me, Tom Clark, for all of that, we've got Martin Samuel, Chief Correspondent for The Times and Sunday Times, Jonathan Northcroft, Football Correspondent for The Sunday Times, and our favourite former footballer turned journalist, Gregor Robertson. Now, gents, after the roaring success of my uh, opener last week, you know, you remember it, don't you, Martin? <laughs> yeah, oh, mate, we were, we were still laughing about it. English, Englishman, Irishman, hours, Scotsman walk into a podcast. Later, yeah. I, I, I thought I'd start this one with another joke. Manchester United. Oh, here we go. See what you did. Yep. See what I did there? Yep. Too harsh? Yeah, Too harsh? A lot of people switching off. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I'm furious. Let this be I'm trying, I'm trying. No, we're not going to be that harsh. We're going to have a considered debate around Manchester United because they lost 4-3 to Bayern Munich. Hopes, dreams, yeah. aspirations. But it was pretty dire, wasn't it? I was in the editing chair last night in the Times offices. Um, and I, to be honest, I was writing the back page story for the newspaper which we have to do quite quickly um to turn it around in time for the deadline and i was writing it at 4-2 and i kind of was being quite downcast about united's chances and then they went 4-3 and i thought do i have to pretend that this was close do i have to pretend that this was close and did a quick survey of the editors quick survey of the sub-editors who were in the office and we all agreed that no i did not have to pretend (laughs) that it was close johnny been a while since you've been with us i'm going to start with you what 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 did you make of that performance in general, and what, you know how are you looking at United now after yeah. these uh, this opening uh, period of the season? Yeah, well, I, I felt it was it was kind of poignant or, or telling that that performance came on the on the day Ole Gunnar Solskjaer broke his silence. Yes, my old pal Ole. Yeah. Um, but it it just kind of reminded you of of the fact United are just in this never ending cycle. Um, it would seem post Ferguson where. There's a little bit of progress, and then um, optimism's raised, and and then for many reasons, um, but probably one central reason: recruitment. Um, they 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 fall back again, and, and it feels very much like United have started the season having gone over the hill of that curve, and, and are now back down towards uh, you know I think they're heading towards crisis. That's doesn't that's not a kind of tabloid way of saying it. I think I think that's that's realistic. They mm. can't keep losing games they can't keep shipping goals and more at the point they, they, they can't keep playing like a small team and that's what I thought about last night's performance was it was a, a dominant proper modern football side with with um, quality on the ball with a game plan um, not even in, in their top gear but dominating a match and, and, and one 
the, the opposition trying to hang on and then you look at the, the names of the teams and it's Manchester United Bayern Munich you know it's it shouldn't be that way I've watched Bayern in their uh, in a couple of the Bundesliga games this year they, they, they had more trouble against Leverkusen who are a good side on, on Friday they, they were had more far more trouble against RB Leipzig um, United are just not anywhere near that level at the moment and, and Greg and I were speaking about this before we came on another thing that hits you over the head watching United is looking at that team and, and, and thinking where has all the money gone mm. when you look at what's on the pitch at the moment you do not see uh, you do not see see a team that's 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 been built to to the cost of what four or five hundred million pounds since even Ten Hag arrived. Yes. So very little progress, and 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 I think that the, the the final thought would be, where is the Ten Hag style? Mm. I'm not seeing it yet, and I I I thought after last season this would be the season where we'd start to see more of how he how we wanted to play, and and it's certainly not come so far this in in this campaign. Yeah, there was a moment last night when the bench flashed up and there was Johnny Evans, <laughs> Hannibal Medbury and uh, Anthony Marshall sat next to each other and I thought, <laughs> I hope they get a 3-0 lead quick here because we might not turn this around. Uh, Martin, on Johnny's point there about the squad but also about Ten Hag's style, d- did you see any kind of um, bits of promise in terms of what the manager was offering in terms of his selections last night and his tactics? Look, I haven't seen that in Manchester United really this season. I mean, uh, I keep coming back to the Arsenal game that people were talking about it as if it was some massive corner turned and I couldn't see it and I wrote that I couldn't see that and, you know, furious people um, on the bottom of the column, you've got it in for Manchester United... I'm sorry, Arsenal were much, much better in the way that Bayern Munich were much, much better, the way that Tottenham were much, much better, and Brighton were much, much better, and actually mm. Wolves were much, much better yeah. as well. And, I mean, apart from that period where they take the game back from Nottingham Forest, I haven't seen <laughs> Manchester United be much, much better than anybody at any stage mm. in this campaign. Mm. Um, and that's not because I've got some irrational grudge against Manchester United. There's no reason why that would be the case. I, I wrote very positively about the impact that Ten Hag made last season, but I'm not seeing it. And mm. and last night was it was a four three that we all know wasn't because yeah. if you divide the game up into its into its three constituent parts, then it's level for 28 minutes, it's Bayern Munich ahead for 62 minutes and it's Manchester United ahead for zero minutes. Mm. So there's, it's not one of those four threes that is veering from one you know, one team to the other or, or whatever. It, it, it's not. It's a, it's a four three that flattered United. Um, and that on two occasions when uh, Manchester United got there, got a, got a tiny foothold in the game, Bayern Munich just went up the other end and scored. Yeah. Um, and then they didn't when it was 4-3 because they ran out of time yeah. um, and they'd taken Harry Kane off and, and they'd taken Musiala off and they'd taken all of the best players on the night off who were all playing for Bayern Munich so yeah it's worrying they're going to Burnley on Saturday uh, Burnley haven't beaten them at Turf Moor since 2009 Johnny Evans was in the Manchester United team that day as well and he could still be in it um, on, on Saturday he probably won't be but he could still be in it um, and if Burnley were to beat them, you can't say it's a 
great shock. No. You'd be surprised if you if you had mm. to have a bet, you'd put your money on Manchester United for obvious reasons. But it wouldn't be a great shock in yeah. the way that it wasn't a great shock that Brighton won at Old Trafford, in the way that it wasn't a great shock that Tottenham beat them. Yeah, let's um, get into um, specifics then, because we'll come we'll come on to those run of fixtures later. But Gregor, I wanted to ask about Andre Onana. You've got some views on his style of play and what the kind of uh, energy that he gives off is not the kind of energy that you would want to see from a goalkeeper. Obviously, he made the mistake for the first goal last night, but what have you thought of him generally, rather than just focusing on that one mistake? I'm not going to be scathing about him because it's early. It's early in his Manchester United career, and you know people were sort of raising the, the truth that Manchester United and Old Trafford has been like a vortex for talent for so long and like is it is, is another talented player <laughs> going to be drawn into that it's too early to say that but just generally speaking like I I said this the other day when you asked about who we preferred out of who we would choose out of uh, Aaron Ramsdale and David Raya and, and I always prefer and I think defenders generally speaking always prefer a goalkeeper who's calm and measured and he's not that he's extrovert he's he is uh, someone who you know he draws the eyes and often it's for good things you know he's, he's, he's talent with the ball at his feet but sometimes it's like it raises your hair as well so mm. um, but I, as I say I'm not going to he was outstanding in the Champions League last year like we we all know the numbers. I think he kept the most clean sheets in the in the Champions League for Inter Milan. Uh, you know, made the most saves in that. You know, the metric that you mm-hmm. know now kind of how many goals are present uh, prevented by goalkeepers. Yeah. He's a good goalkeeper. He's had a tough start, but we've seen this time and a time, time and time again at Manchester United. And you know, the the fear is that another good player is is uh, is wobbling. Mm. There's, there's, yeah. There is a fact here, isn't there? You know, you mentioned that keeping clean sheets and it makes me think about um, the stat I recited about Jan Oblak and keeping lots of clean Absolutely. sheets in Atletico yeah. Madrid's team he was in an Inter Milan team that was well drilled and got to the final of the Champions League built on having a good structure defensively wasn't he I mean, so you then come to Manchester United and <laughs> all players become exposed don't they a little bit at the um, moment he's conceding one goal every 2.7 shots yeah. on target Yeah, uh, that's not sustainable yeah you can't, you, you know, you can't, you can't concede. If, if 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 you have three shots on target against Manchester United, at the moment, on average, one of them's going to go in. Yeah, Martin, mm. you were talking just sorry to interrupt, but you were talking before just to Gregor's point about um, goalkeepers. Before we came on the show, you were reminiscing about Terry Venables and some of his views on goalkeepers and what he liked to see. There was it, it was two things actually. It was one. Um, Venables when when he was with I want to say Steve McLaren and one of the things that um, Paul Robinson was was in goal and 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 Terry was advocating changing the goalkeeper uh, for a long time before he did and mm. then finally Steve changed it for a match that that was like everything was on this match and it was probably the wrong time to change it but it was Paul Robinson that was in goal and. What Terry, what unnerved Terry about Paul Robinson is he thought if the game went quiet, he would do something to make you notice that he was there, make the manager mm. or whatever notice that he was there. He would suddenly go chasing out to the corner flag or whatever, you know, to retrieve a situation that actually the fullback was probably going to cover anyway. And it was almost like, look, look, I'm still here, boss. I'm, I'm still, <laughs> you know. And he did, he, you know, he would try to explain, look, we know you're there. We're very happy you're not touching the ball. We're <laughs> yeah. very, very happy you're not involved. 
don't think we're not. You don't have to do anything. Jordan Pickford used to be a bit like mm. that. He's he's less so now, but he used to be a bit like that. He'd suddenly come tearing out for no apparent, you know. And it was almost that he hadn't been involved, and he wanted to remind everyone that he was still there, still watching the game. But the other thing that I remember, and it, it goes to uh, Gregor's point about he's an extrovert. Is this Jose Mourinho's point about what he wanted from defenders? and why he didn't rate or want David Luiz. It, it remains, the most, it, it's just very, very insightful. What he wanted was defenders who were pessimists, and mm-hmm. he thought David Luiz was too much of an optimist. <laughs> that he goes forward, he never thinks anything's going to go wrong. If he if he brings the ball into the mm. other half, he, he never thinks the move's going to be broken down and you could be caught on the <laughs> counter-attack. Far too optimistic. He wanted a centre-half who thought everything was about to fall apart mm. at any given moment and therefore he had to be in his position. Strikers can be optimists. If you have a shot at goal, the they striker's to be, got yeah. to think, the goalkeeper's going to spill mm. it, I'm going to run in and we're going to be one new up. Defenders have got to be pessimists. If you look at England in the 2014 World Cup against Uruguay, hmm. England get knocked out because Gary Cahill, because Gary Cahill thinks Stephen Gerrard is going to get the ball, he's going to cut that pass out, hmm. and Gerrard misses it, and Suarez is gambling because he's an optimist, but Gary Cahill should be a pessimist. Hmm. He should be thinking, I've, I've got to cover this because Stephen Gerrard's not going to get it. And Gary Cahill doesn't start moving at the same time as Suarez, and that's why Suarez is in on us. It wouldn't have happened had John Terry been at centre half, because John Terry was a pessimist. I think, um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just reliving the, the Scottish eyes that moment. Of, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, sorry about that. Um, no, it, like, United have finally gone down the route of having a, <clears throat> a footballing goalkeeper, and I think I think that was well overdue. To be honest, brilliant as David de Gea is at short stopping, I think he was holding United back in terms of developing a, a more proactive style of play. However, however, the first requirement of a goalkeeper is to stop the ball going in the net. That is that is the number one requirement, and I'd say the number two requirement in the modern game is being able to to play. Now, this is where United are at. They're big enough club that they shouldn't be making a binary choice because if you look at Edison. He's incredible with his feet, and I mean, a bit of skill on on Tuesday night was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> and he's he's perhaps a, an optimist, I would say. But, yes. Um, but but you know, Edison can play football. Quite optimist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. He's not that quiet. <laughs> no. no. no uh, I, I mean, Allison can play football, but can stop the ball going in the net. Da- mm. David Ray, I think, is a fantastic goalkeeper, and he can mm. he can do both as well. Vicario, who's come from nowhere, looks like he can he can do a bit. Look, of, Nana can do both. Well, he 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 should be able to do both. We've seen him do both, but he's not doing it at the moment, is he? he but how how important do you think it is that he fronted up last night and came out and spoke spoke to the press, spoke I, to Paul Hurst and the guys yeah. uh, in in Munich? I thought I thought that was important, and 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 we do always note a lack of accountability and leadership in United, and and that was him taking accountability. Yeah, um, he's playing in front of a very bad defence. You know, back four, which if I'm doing the comparisons game, I'm not sure any of those four would get into, I don't know, top seven teams, possibly. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think. So there's a, there's a mix of problems here, obviously. Um, and I think Onana, ha- on his performance level last year, looked like a do- top goalkeeper. His career history, mm-hmm. a bit patchy, I would say. Um, but United, should, you know, in every position, they should, they should be able to 
to to look for the best and they're not uh, at the moment they're still you know they buy Lissandro Martinez great qualities but obvious drawbacks you know uh, Anthony has one great quality and lots of drawbacks like that the, the recruitment is is I, I think they pay a lot of money for for players which aren't the sort of complete package and aren't the complete footballer in, in comparison to um to the rivals and they might have done it again with Anana. Early days, I'm not writing him off at all. Mm. But, you know, he has to be as good as Edison. He has to be as good as Allison. Yeah. That's the level United are trying to compete at. He's not you know, if that, if Aaron Ramsdale is now Arsenal's number two goalkeeper, he's not I would wouldn't say at the moment looking as good as yeah. Arsenal's it, number two. Like the the thing we've got to say about like again, no one's writing off Anana. That would be foolish. But it's so many, the, all the players that United have signed, they've not all been, you know, they shouldn't have all been duds. It's because of the dysfunction. It's because yeah. there's mm. no, like, clear, clearly defined sort of philosophy or or style of play. Mm. and Or it's been shifting from one thing to the next. Um, so, you, you know, you, you could have that same conversation about Pogba at Manchester United. Mm. He didn't fit in anywhere in the team. And and now you look at Anana and he's asked to be, being asked to build a play from the back. And that's what Ten Hag wants to do. There was one point where he gave it to Lindelof last night and he, Lindelof was like, just looked frenzied yeah. and he ran across his own 18 yard box because he knew he had to look like he was doing something that wasn't <laughs> just giving it back to Anana and you know he's, he's been asked to do something when he did that Inter Milan like they, they were so intelligent the way they played they'd drop drop the defender really deep and almost draw the press yeah. to play through the lines or he yeah. would he would he would play a ball yeah. you know beat the first first line as well because he is good at that but it was really, it was really smart. It was intelligent, and there's just no evidence of that. So that's why the dysfunction around Banana yeah, I mean, and every other player we can talk <laughs> about that's failed at Manchester United. The dysfunction has been a big reason for that. It's not just it, them alone. It yeah. becomes, it becomes horses for courses. If you think that Anana uh, fell out with his national team manager at the World Cup in 2022, and one of the reasons was he he, he kept bringing it out at the back he mm. kept trying to play football from the back and, and Rigobert Song didn't think Cameroon had the players in the back four to do that and in the end they they, they fell out and that was the reason that, that, that he lost his place in the Cameroon team and that he wasn't playing for Cameroon and now he's back in which is great but it was all to do with Song think yeah it's all well and good us having a, 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 a goalkeeper that wants to do that and can do that but then you've got to have the players to make that work Song didn't think that Cameroon did Manchester United don't look as if they've necessarily got the players to make that work the thing that Guardiola does he's got a footballing goalkeeper mm. but he's got a footballing back oh. four as well yeah. or back three or mm, whatever yeah. the, whatever he's playing at this particular moment a yeah. back two and a half or something <laughs> like that but he, he's got He's got players around that the goalkeeper can knock it to and look comfortable on the ball. Anana is playing to Manchester United players that that look terrified. Now, whether it is the situation at the moment where they're under so much pressure that that's causing it, that's mm. causing it to happen, or whether it's just players that aren't particularly comfortable on the ball. We all know defences where there's one guy that isn't as comfortable on the ball as the rest and football is now sophisticated so that the you know the press is on the other three guys and they force the ball onto onto the guy they know isn't as good distributing yeah. it 
That's but what will happen with Manchester United. They are, of course, missing quite a lot of players. If you think, I'm thinking about Luke a moment. Luke Shaw's a big one. Andre Onana, mm-hmm. exactly. Mm-hmm. Played a lovely clipped pass to mm-hmm. Sergio Reguilón, took <laughs> it down on his chest and immediately passed the ball to a Bayern Munich player. So there is, as you say, Greg, a wider context around Onana. I want to move on and come back to Martin's point because you mentioned um, the next match against Burnley and you talked about optimism and pessimism. When you look at United's fixtures coming up, they've got a Manchester derby on the 29th of October, but before then they have seven games. Burnley, Crystal Palace in the EFL Cup, Crystal Palace again at home, Galatasaray at home, Brentford at home, Sheffield United away, Copenhagen at home. (laughs) If you needed a nice run of fixtures to try and get your season off to a decent start before a massive game, that is about as good as it gets, isn't it? But Martin, you've written a column on the website this morning talking... Uh, about the slightly worrying signs for United and making slight comparisons with the winter of discontent and 1978 and all that. Uh, 1978, it was the last time they conceded uh, three or more goals in three consecutive matches. Uh, was December 1978, which is right in the middle Mm. of the winter of discontent, uh, Jim Callaghan um, era, Labour government, and strikes and and, and everything. And they came ninth that season. Mm. People think Dave Sexton then got the sack. He didn't. He, Dave Sexton didn't get the sack for another two years. Um, but that run of fixtures is is great. And and man, but it's it's why you're thinking it's great is because we are looking at Manchester United and thinking mm. it's Manchester United. Those matches are all easy games or winnable games, shall we say, for Manchester United. But actually. Manchester United, uh, in their last 35 away matches, have lost 18 games. Of the teams that have been in the Premier League throughout that time, there's only one team in the Premier League with a worse away record than that, which is West Ham, who've managed to lose 20 matches away from home in that period in time. So we are judging Manchester United on everything mm. that we know about the club for the last 20, 30 years. You're not judging them as the club they are at the moment, where... That group, that run of fixtures, which should be what gets their season going, really. This, this, it, it should start this Saturday at, at, at Burnley. But they've still got to raise their game from their current run of form, because in, in their current run of form, thirty-five matches isn't just, you know that doesn't that isn't this mm. season. There's only two or three of them that are, are, have been this season. That's going back, I think, to about March 22 or something like mm. that. So they've played all those mm. sorts of games yeah. in that period of time and have managed to lose 18 out of 35 matches away from home. Yeah, Johnny, to wrap up yeah. the United segment, looking at those games, and I, I asked this question because um, myself and James on the editing floor just before coming on the show were mm. teeing up Paul Hurst to write a similar kind of piece, so we'll see if you say the same things. What would be, if there was one thing to look at the United team, whether it's Get some confidence in Onana. Get yeah. Sofia and Amrabat in the team. Yeah. Make sure Rasmus Hoyland keeps scoring. He scored, of course, last night. Good for him to get um, off and running. What would be the one thing you'd be looking at to try and implement for the for Ten Hag? Oh, I mean, I mean look, as, as, as we've you been, can have two if you as, want. As we've been saying, <laughs> the whole thing is a dysfunction at the moment, and we could go through the departments. So all, all of all of what you've said, Tom, really, um, I guess I guess the single biggest thing you always come back to United is is always the midfield, and that's. We could have had this conversation 10 years ago and come mm. to the same conclusion. I think a lot starts in there. So Amrabat, um, if you're looking for magic ingredients, is he is he going to be the one? Because one of the issues that, that that defence has got is is United, 
who try and go man to man in midfield don't have the legs to do it and they and they let so much come through mm-hmm. so that that's a beleaguered defense right from the start mm. but it's also a midfield which is is struggling to um to create a lot of the moments so that, again the game plan just seems to be and we could have said this five years ago let's knock it to marcus and see if he's on form today because that, that which that, they did a few times yeah last night and, as and, well. and, and you know thankfully for united he's been on form a lot in the last five years but that, that is still their best plan of scoring a goal so I think Casemiro is shouldering so much on his uh, at the moment. He's 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 such an intelligent footballer that it's almost like he he realised last night that you know we need a bit of help in the box here. So he goes and turns into a striker for the last ten minutes. Um, but the one thing he's not capable of doing anymore is covering massive spaces. We know mm. that he's, he's 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 too old for it. He can't cover the huge gaps that that that, that United midfield leave. And you could say the same of Ericsson. So they need to start getting some control of the game, and and you know Amrabat is Amrabat, Eriksson and and Casemiro going to be a combination. Is Mason Mount going to come back? I think if they could find something in there that they could build out from it. Yeah, it's all it's all the the thing is it's the the old adage about players always getting so much better when they're they're not in the team. I mean, mm. what we're seeing now is oh, when we get Mason Mount back, <laughs> it'll be different. You're thinking. But everyone was saying that Mason Mount hadn't started well at Manchester United mm. before before he got yeah. injured, and now suddenly he's the answer. Amrabat, who was a player that I absolutely love and that I advocated West Ham should have won mm. the Conference League final, walked straight over to Amrabat and said, we're losing Declan Rice, do you want to come and join us? Should have that. I mean, he's a wonderful player, I think, and was wonderful for Morocco in the, in the, uh, in the World Cup. But... He hasn't kicked a ball no. in the Premier League. Mm. Uh, you know, that's a lot of heavy lifting a guy's doing w- without kicking a ball mm. in English football. And we know how difficult it is because we've seen Fernandez at Chelsea go from a World Cup and, and mm. looking like he can make a midfield chicken and playing for Chelsea. And you're thinking, well, where was that player? It's because the league is really, really mm. difficult. So the idea that Amrabat comes in on a, on, on a, on a charger and, 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 and saves Manchester United, <laughs> you know... It could happen, but it's a it's a lot to ask. Yeah, we'll have to see how they get on. Whether Sofian Amrabat is the answer to all Manchester United's mm. problems. Uh, there's plenty of reaction that you can read on the Times website now. Not only Martin's article, but also Paul Hurst's analysis, which should be live by the time you're listening to this. Moving on, there's definitely some optimists in North London, aren't there? After Arsenal's <laughs> resounding win. Uh, against PSV Eindhoven uh, last night. Alison Rudd in her piece today saying it is six years since Mikel Arteta's team competed at this level in Europe but absence clearly made the heart grow fonder rather than out of touch with what would be required against opposition who, while our class on the night, will still be hopeful of finishing runners-up in the group. Gregor, it's an absolute stroll, wasn't it? They're going to win the Champions League. <laughs> I don't think they're going to win the Champions League, but oh, it I was I a. Had you then. No, I mean, it, it, we discussed this before. It, is a, it was a reminder that you know, despite their absence for for a long period of time, um, the power of the the Premier League, the might of the Premier League, means that you know, even though they're coming up against a team who are who are leading uh, the, the Dutch league, finished second last season, um, the, the gulf between the Premier League and the rest is is enormous. So they they have a chance to go. To go deep in the competition, um, you know the, this. It says everything that this summer, PSV sold one of the best players, uh, Sangari, to Nottingham Forest. Mm. You know, a, mm. a club mm. who will be battling relegation probably. Yeah. So, um, 
I think this just as a reminder that yes, Arsenal were, were brilliant. They were on the front foot from the off. Uh, Saka was was on fire. Mm. Um, but I think it's just a reminder that you know, despite all the stuff that Arsenal have been through and their absence from this competition for a long time, you know, probably the Premier League has advanced more in that period than the Champions League has yeah. than the rest. So mm. Arsenal being uh, being back in this competition means that. You know they're in with a chance of, of of going deep in it. Yeah, on on that topic, we'll come back to the point about the Premier League and the rest of Europe when we talk about Newcastle and AC Milan later. Johnny, on that point about Arsenal, I was thinking last night the goals were going in and we're deciding how we're going to lay out both the paper and the website mm. and we're looking through various pictures and there was a one particular image of um, Gabriel Jesus, Martin Odegaard, Declan Rice, and Bukayo Saka in the same image, and I thought yeah. that's the picture. It wasn't a particularly amazing picture. It didn't yeah. show a goal. But I was like, there's four players, and they are close to being world class, yeah. top level European yeah. class. Anyway, with this Arsenal team, because they've got such a young manager, and because they've been near last season, at what point do we say they're there now? Is, is these oh, yeah. moments like that? Do we go? They're there now. They've actually made it. They're a, they're a top level European team. I think they are there actually because look, they are a top level Premier League team, and because of what Gregor's saying, that makes you now a top level European team. They will go deep. Um, Newcastle can probably, uh, I know we'll come to the name, probably get through their group as well, tough as it is, because that's how that's how good the Premier League is. Um, probably a decent picture choice, because I would say that the 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 power, the the I'm trying not to use the word the vibe, but <laughs> I will the Do vibe, <laughs> the vibe of Arsenal under Arteta, it kind of rests on the chemistry of, of of players. It creates very powerful chemistries between. Um, players of a similar style and age group and all that sort of stuff and 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 the goals they scored was you know the Saka Trossard and Gabriel Jesus vibe was <laughs> absolutely fantastic for 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 all of them and I do feel after a stodgy start to the season where he's trying to play around a little bit with with formations and using 31 of them or whatever he said to to try and get more control of the game I feel he's gone a little bit back to to last year where it was about speed of the game, speed of attacks, combination play between really talented footballers. Um, and Gabriel Jesus, having sort of sat out this first couple of games, is is, is now back in, in, in terrific form. Um, and with that with that dynamism going forward, they will, they will trouble anybody. They really will. Mm. Um, they will be... Uh, uh, yeah, they, 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 they're, I think they're well set up for Europe. They're, they're really, really likely to score in every game um, it was a mystery to me they didn't go all the way to the Europa League final last year they kind of threw that one away because yeah. they, they had it there for themselves um, so they'll be you know they'll they they they'll, they'll be right up there in the Champions League yeah. Yeah. the other thing that they've done of course is add strength yeah. in areas where they needed it and also competition we talked uh, Gregor on Monday show quite interestingly about Arteta uh, and David Rea and Ramsdale and swapping goalkeepers, Martin, I, I thought it was quite interesting. I think a lot of people, myself included, perhaps assumed that Ramsdale would come back in. He didn't. Rea played. And thinking back to the conversation you were having earlier about calmness and things, there was a moment in the first half where it was all hectic. It was usual Arteta Arsenal. And he caught the ball, I think, from either a cross or a corner. Mm. And he did that exaggerated fall on the floor that <laughs> goalkeepers do where they're going... Alisson likes that one. Yeah. Stop, just stop it yeah. for a minute. And he put his hand up. There were loads, loads of players, obviously... Screaming, give me the ball! And he went, stop it. Let's just wait a minute. Martin, I wanted to come to you and ask: Does this suggest that 
he's pushing towards being the new number one over Ramsdale? Or do do you see it? For, I wanted to ask your opinion on the how switching I goalkeepers thought, thing yeah, that we discussed on Monday. Yeah, I thought um, I, I did a little bit in the column on uh, Tuesday about it, and um, I think it's very very interesting what Arteta said about substituting goalkeepers not not in terms of who starts or whatever, not in terms of switching them but literally in terms of making a change during a game and bringing a goalkeeper on uh, as you would an outfield player because no one's ever thought of it no one's ever done it um, unless there's a complete calamity going on unless there's an absolute crisis and then you might change the goalkeeper if you think someone's ruined or penalty kicks are coming yeah, yeah. penalty <clears throat> kicks you know totally different circumstances he is talking about a situation in the game where he thinks he's got a guy on the bench that would be better suited to the game that he's watching than the guy mm. that's out there and I think that's really really interesting because no one's ever considered it before and yet He's obviously looking at his goalkeepers and he's seen two very different um, players with two very different sets of attributes, as you would with outfield players. We judge outfield players in, in that way. But we sort of regard goalkeepers as this big sort of mass that yeah. everyone's as good as everything else and therefore you don't change it. Why wouldn't you change it? If mm. you had an aerial bombardment and you thought mm. that, that this guy on the bench sitting next to you would be better than the guy that's out there, why wouldn't you then put yeah. him on and say, right, now let's let's have a think about this? Um, so I thought that was fascinating. So if he is genuinely thinking like that, and he said there were two occasions in his career so far when he thought about changing the goalkeeper in the middle of a match and neither time he had the courage to do it, both times Arsenal ended up drawing, both times you ended up regretting it. I think that's fascinating. Mm-hmm. So if he is now proposing that he doesn't actually operate with a first-choice goalkeeper and that he would change the goalkeeper halfway through the game, why should it be left to Pep Guardiola to come up with every single new idea in football? Why, why shouldn't Mikel Arteta suddenly go, I tell you what, I'm going to do something here that no one's ever done before. But he might have surprised us because you make that excellent point because when the transfer story was happening and I was speaking to Gary Jacob our Arsenal man and I was and that was my first question well they've got Ramsdale why, mm-hmm. why do they need Raya why, mm-hmm. I mean am I that narrow minded Johnny are we all narrow minded is Mikel as Martin says got a bright new trick up his sleeve well, I was just looking at the ex-defender shifting in his seat as Martin yeah, 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 yeah. in the middle of a, a match I, I I I I think it might be a little bit of a smokescreen from our, from Arteta to be honest. I I think Reyes is his number one man and he's trying to make Ramsdale make, feel better. I think he is a little bit. Um, I suspect I'm just this is a this is a guess, but I, I suspect it goes back to the run in the last season when um, Arsenal didn't get over the line um, because let's say they didn't handle the the, the the situation psychologically well enough. They they played suddenly in 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 too kind of tense hyped up a way and I think Ramsdale might have been a representation like you think of the Southampton mm. game which he he, mm. he found very difficult um, maybe just a little bit too emotional in that match I, I, I love Ramsdale's personality I have to say and, and he was brilliant against Scotland when he was given that stage to be on he responds really well mm. he, he be, might be a good one in the North London derby for example yes. but in those games when it's about doing the job and being being calm and getting across the line, maybe that's where he's looking at David Rea. Yeah. Well, you lead me perfectly onto my final question, which is about that North London derby. Alison Rudd introed her piece from the match last night by saying there's no 
probably no better way to prepare for a heated North London derby <laughs> than by virtually strolling to victory uh, in your opening match. So there is a contrast in terms of the type of game that they're going to get. Gregor, is this one of the rare times, again, it was something we were talking about before the um, show with Martin, where quite often we'd go into a North London derby knowing which team was better. Whereas because of Ange Postacoglu's performances with Tottenham so far this season, even how great Arsenal are, we could be in for a bit of a cracker, couldn't we? Yeah, it's it's it's, it's rare that both teams go in with such a sort of positive atmosphere, certainly surrounding both teams. Nil-nil incoming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, and it's going to be interesting tactically as well. I think, you know, Arsenal, tend, since Arteta's been in charge, tended to have dominated. And often, mm-hmm. you know, Spurs have, have been, you know, willing to to cede control and try and play in the break that's been the type of team they have and because of the managers in charge now that's very much changed and we'll have two teams who want to be the, the sort of main protagonists going head to head um, so I I, I I can't call it I think <laughs> I think shocking, shocking. <laughs> Gregor Robinson think, sits on fence no I mean I think I think Spurs have got the wind in their sails and um I think the the most interesting thing is that the way that they they'll always try and build from the back, and I've been at a couple of Spurs games this season, and and that comes with great risks. And there's a couple of time, couple of games in which they've kind of got away with that a little bit. They've mm. gifted opportunities, and if they do that to Arsenal, I think they're more likely to punish them. So um, that's that's one one area of intrigue, intrigue for me. Just to return to the goalkeepers for one second. So why are you squirming at the idea of changing? <laughs> Uh, the idea of changing a goalkeeper mid-game as a as a as a defender. As a I said this, I said this on Monday. It's, it's kind of my natural instinct was always to be that you want a settled back four goalkeeper. You want to have to know about the relationships and stuff like that. And I, I acknowledged that the game is changing, and that might make me sound like old-fashioned now. So, but primarily, I, I would say when when you're, I can't think of many instances for a club of Arsenal size who are going to be the usually want to be the dominant force why they would see attributes that they wouldn't just start with mm. I, I, you know if Raya can't ca- come and catch the ball against uh, a bunch of like uh, I don't know Sean Dyche's Burnley mm. he, w- he shouldn't be starting in the first place no I get so that if he's better with the ball at his feet and they want to be the team who are taking the game to every opposition they'll start with them no, I was just using. I, I was using the the uh, the aerial bombardment just as an example. Another one would be if you were talking about the calmness aspect of it, of seeing a game out. Right, we get this guy now because he's calm, and we don't yeah. want someone dancing around in the air and getting everyone excited. We want to exude some calmness. I don't know when you want that though. When do you want someone who's excitable and yeah. overexcitable in the goals? And that's that's part of the reason why he's, he's signed mm-hmm. right. I think maybe when you're losing two or three nil in a big game. Which is yeah. a, might, for Arsenal, as you say, would be a rare experience. But m- maybe I just that, think I just I think there's, ev- there's evolution going on all the time in football, and, and the Pep Guardiola thing of we're going to play out the back, our goalkeeper is going to pass to you, and you've got to be prepared to take the ball. When you think where defenders take the ball now, like level with their own six-yard box yeah. and, and stuff like that, which was regarded as suicide before. If you if, if you started messing about with it, there, you know, people passing across their own penalty area, which is the first thing hmm. on your first day of practice for your you know your school football team. That's the yeah. first thing you was <laughs> told is never pass across your own penalty area. Oh, right, okay, um, so. It, I just think there's an evolution going on. Malcolm Allison, going all the way back to the 1970s, was 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 saying 
goalkeepers have got to be taught how to pass it. Mm. I've got to be taught yeah. how to play. Most of them don't even have, you should say, much of the annoyance of all the goalkeepers, goalkeepers don't even know how to kick the ball. Don't even know how to kick the ball properly. He said, mm. You've got to train them to kick the ball properly to actually pass it. You've got to train them on technique. And it's a great shame that he didn't live to see him being mm. right. Basically, yeah, and yeah, Pep Guardiola yeah. proving him right. He would have loved things that, that he, yeah, he would have. Things that he was saying in the mid seventies and maybe even earlier about what the future of football would be, which is that your goalkeeper can play football like an outfield right. player. Right, Mikel, yeah. it's all set up for you. North London derby, one nil up. You know what to do. Change that goalkeeper. <laughs> now we've got to move on, chaps, because there's plenty more to discuss on the game podcast. But if you are enjoying the show. Make sure you're subscribed and make sure that you're checking out all the best action on the Times website now from these guys and Martin's column on uh, Manchester United. Coming up next, we'll be talking Newcastle, Manchester City and our other highlights from the Champions League. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the Game Football Podcast from the Times. Newcastle United, back in the Champions League, back in the San Siro, back in the big time with a nil-nil draw. We were all teed <laughs> up, we were sat in the office. Uh, thankfully, I wasn't on the late shift, it was James's job. And as I left and walked out the door, we were 10 minutes left and he said, it's going to be bloody nil-nil. And it was. But a good point for Newcastle. Um, I want to start with Martin Hardy's piece, which he did. He was over there for us covering the game. He said, Newcastle must sharpen their attack. Spirit alone will not be enough in Europe. Johnny, of course, that spirit has been something we've complimented Eddie yeah. Howe and his team for. Do you agree with Martin? Yeah, I do. I, I think you know the, 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 there's a need for Newcastle to keep evolving, as there is with all teams. But, but Newcastle particularly, I, I felt you know, Eddie Howe did an incredible job last year on, in that very old-fashioned style, which was starting off with, with being a tight unit and being hard to beat and hard to break down and being super intense for getting the fitness levels up, all that kind of stuff. Um, in terms of creativity and craft, they probably weren't at the level of, of some of their competitors in the Premier League, and now you've got the Champions League, um, which is essentially cup football, and then there's a need to to, to, to create and, and, and make something in a tight game. Um, 
they they do need to expand their repertoire. I mean, it's not that Eddie's not trying with with Harvey Barnes coming in, Tonali supposed to offer a bit more creativity in in midfield, and I think he will. He's he's had a dip a couple of games into his career. Um, the big one for me is is Isak versus Wilson, and and you can see how trying to evolve towards mm. Isak, who's got so much about him as a player, um, but it's not a reliable. Score. I'm not saying he's not a he's a reasonable finisher, mm. but his career record tells you he's not a, a heavyweight goal scorer yet. He's young, so he keeps having to go back to Callum Wilson. But there's obvious obvious drawbacks in Callum Wilson, uh, who, who's made the most of his talent. But um, uh, and and you know fab, fabulous servant, but isn't probably is he Erling Haaland level? Blah blah blah, all that kind of stuff. So that's that is the future for for Newcastle, and and they were. If we're talking about scorelines that were misleading, I felt that was a bit of a misleading nil-nil. I'm not really? Sh- Do you think so? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how Milan failed to score in that first half in yeah. particular. I, I mean, Milan, feel, Milan. I didn't are- feel it was a overwhelming swarm. No. It wasn't. You know, they looked a little bit shaky at times. Shooting straight at Nick Pope. Yeah, yeah but they did oh, exactly. They kept the banging it straight people, down his people throat. Could, people saying, "Oh, Nick Pope made yeah. X amount of saves, and he had a very, yeah. very good game, Nick Pope." But that doesn't. No, rather take into account how much AC Milan found him. Basically. Yeah, I'm going you know? to have to stop you there, chaps, because you're teeing up Gregor Robertson <laughs> to slag off Olivier Giroud again, which no one wants yeah. to hear. Not on this, no, not no, on this no. podcast. Oh. But I d- just coming on to that um, point about AC Milan um, and not being able to beat Newcastle, and then also looking at that team and lots of people saying, "Oh, Dan Burns going to get torn to shreds here." Bloody hell, Jacob Murphy <laughs> starting a Champions League game. Does this, Martin, say as much as it says about Newcastle and the spirit that Eddie Howe's team have got? Does it also say quite a lot about the strength of the Premier League and the potential weakness of some of the other teams in Europe that you know mm. Newcastle are realistically are getting a point and uh, you know myself and Johnny disagreeing but looking comfortable at times at least that group which everyone um, when it came out are oh, in the group of death they're in the group of death but you look at that group it could be anything. It mm. could, you know, because none of those other teams, AC Milan, Borussia Dortmund, Paris Saint-Germain, huge names, huge European experience, certainly compared to Newcastle. But if you look at their domestic form at the moment, all of them, yeah, you know, mm. where, where would they be in uh, English football compared to, you know, what Newcastle did last season? So... um I think Newcastle, it, yeah, it does epitomise it because because you look at you look at say the AC Milan team, and you go, oh right, so that guy there was the centre forward that couldn't get in Chelsea's team, and oh there's Ruben Loftus Cheek mm. who couldn't get in Chelsea's team, and and there's Tomori who couldn't get in Chelsea's team, and you think would they get in Newcastle's team? Those mm. those three players, any of those three players, and that how often does that happen? In, in a European tie, where you look at the other team and you go, oh, he was, mm. he was at Stoke, that mm. fella. Yeah, he was, he was all right, wasn't he? You know, and, and, and then you'll see that he's he's the main man at Sevilla or whatever. Or, at, you, or at Real Madrid. Or Real Madrid, Real Madrid, Madrid yeah, or at Bayern Munich, yeah. by the way. Yeah. You know, yeah. all, all of whom have had players that, that, you know, were involved with Stoke, I think, or West Brom or whatever. And so we are, we, we are enormously enormously blessed really with the quality of football that you watch from the elite teams in the Premier League week in week out and when they go into Europe that that 
that shows it. And I wrote about, I think it was Brighton last season, and I think they were top five or top six. And I said, look, what you understand, if Brighton are in the top five in, in the Premier League, it probably puts them in and about the top mm. 10 or 12 in in the world. Mm. Uh, as a, You know, club sides in the world. And, and people say, it's ridiculous, how can Brighton be one of the top two? Because if you're in the top five in the Premier League, mm. that's where you are. Just to, um, just to underline the point as well, Newcastle haven't was a couple of decades out of that competition and they're twentieth yeah. mm. in the Deloitte Money League. Mm. Newcastle yeah. uh, DC yeah. Milan are sixteenth. Yeah. yeah. Arsenal again, what seven years out, they're tenth. Mm. So, you know, it, that's, do you that's think we've well, not? <laughs> the the only thing I would say with the Deloitte Money League, they did have Fiorentina, I think, in the top six about two months before they went skint. So, <laughs> right. um, you know, <laughs> it's a fluctuating. <laughs> need some more <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it depends which analyst you get. Really, I think the Deloitte Money League. Do you think, Johnny, then, that we've not, maybe as viewers, as the, as journalists, caught up? With the rapid pace of change, you know, because when I was growing up, AC Milan, huge team, Shinko, Kaká, Seydorf, all these huge, great names, things yeah. like that. Have we not actually switched on as football fans to the realities mm. of what Martin's talking about? Yeah, I think it is disorienting, and maybe it's we as football fans of a certain age, maybe mm. a younger generation, will just be used to yeah. this this kind of this this pattern. I, I remember Steve Parrish telling me, and this was this was eight or nine years ago, so things have moved on further, but. He he had a he had a, a an email one day from Sampdoria, and you know wanting to talk to him about as I said various partnerships. He was really excited. Crystal Palace just back in the Premier League, and Steve, fan of a sort of football man of a certain age, Sampdoria, massive team, you know, blah blah. Graham Sooner, Serie A, and he thought you know maybe they see Crystal Palace as the same level as them. Maybe you know maybe we've made it and we're going to have a partnership. And they just wanted to sell him players. And he was really disappointed. But the penny yeah. dropped that actually in the food chain, Crystal Palace, and this was eight years ago, were above Sampdoria. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where that's what we've got to, to look at. Which now, comes back to your point about Sangara and PSV yeah. and the transfers and where players go as well. Brendan Aronson last night playing Champions League football, you know, yeah. and he's a good, good player, but he was relegated last year, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The Messi, wasn't it? The Messi. <laughs> on, on Newcastle, that would take a slightly different spin. I think we've gone to San Siro after two decades out of this competition yeah. and got a draw. And their home form is going to be what dictates yeah. overwhelmingly what how they do yeah. in the competition. But they will see after this. No, I say, I'm saying chance, it's a yeah. good thing that they will almost look at this. and Because I do wonder whether there was lots of coverage before the game, huge game. I saw lots of uh, fans on Twitter saying, oh, it's a free pass for Newcastle. Newcastle's underdogs. Yeah, you're, you're, we're the underdogs. But actually, they come yeah. out of it and go, no, these not. lot aren't more too much. No, exactly. You shouldn't know no team that has qualified for the Champions mm. League from the Premier League should go in there as grateful tourists. No, Nobody. No. Nobody should, should go in there as grateful tourists. If Brighton were to get into the top four this season, they shouldn't go into the Champions yeah. League next season thinking, oh, we're plucky old Brighton, we're lucky yeah. to be here, I can't believe we've drawn this one or that one or whatever. I mean, they would. They would, <laughs> of course they would. But, they make a, they make a, but the reality you, is, yeah. That's right. how you feel, yeah. but the reality is, the, the reality is, you know, West Ham won the Conference League last season, but actually, if you looked at the teams in the Conference mm. League, West Ham were the team to beat. You know, yeah. West Ham were the team yeah, to were. beat. Um, Aston Villa are the team to beat in the Conference League this season, without a shadow of a doubt. They're the team to beat because they come from this league yeah. that has got so much wealth and power. There was a there was a famous meeting at Bayern Munich a number of years ago that you know in, in which which highlighted the crisis in European football. 
they rejected the idea of a Super League, but it's it's one of those meetings that you can look at and think, mm. yeah, this is when you know certain clubs started thinking about we need a Super League, and the meeting pointed out that Norwich, who come bottom that season, mm. got more money for coming bottom of the Premier League than Bayern Munich earned for winning the Bundesliga. Johnny Martin mentions the Super League. There, we've obviously been on this podcast before talking about. Oh, it'd be ruin, it'd be ruin the game. We've already got one, haven't we? It's called the Premier League. By the sounds yeah, of it, yeah, like, yeah, sounds yeah, of what we're talking look, about. I've, I've thought Martin for, I've, Martin Ziegler writing this week yeah. that Premier League games outside the Saturday three pm window could all be live on television. Yeah. Could go even more. That's only going to bring in more money. We're, I, we are the Super League. I've, I've thought that for for years that that's the direction of travel, and one of the many things I couldn't get my head around with the, the ill-fated Super League project was why would the top Premier League clubs want to empower Europe because the Premier League just needs to wait it out and it's going to be the NBA or the NFL of football That's, that, is the, that is the way it's, it's going inexorably um, we do have the new Champions League format next year which is I guess Europe's response and it's, it's a UEFA attempt to start creating more of a league rather than a sort of knockout competition. So I think it's top five, isn't it? In in mm. in, in, in Premier League will get in. Um, it's it looks like it. it's it's it the top like, four, yeah. and then there's Plus then there's a coefficient. The uh, there's yeah, yeah there's yeah. a coefficient equation that we'd really have to stuff up for yeah. us not to be a, a country yeah. that got the fifth. Yeah. There's like I mean. an extraordinary way in which eleven yeah. Premier League teams could qualify for European football next mm. season, yeah. and it would require things like you know cup winners. Uh, knocking other people down uh, in the, in the, yeah. in the yeah. league if because you get a certain, you know, qualification yeah. for whatever. But it's, yeah, it, the Premier League having five places will just, well, you know, it, it also skew the balance a bit more in terms of the the money coming in for for another club in the mm-hmm. in the Premier League. I certainly hope there aren't eleven teams in it next year because we've only talked about three on this show so oh, far. No, no, We're no, going, we've got to squeeze Manchester City in. We've got yeah. to move on. Uh, we're going to talk about Manchester City. It's only September. We're already in the stage of what else can you say about Manchester City? A 3-1 win. But I have got two things I want to say. Jeremy Doku already wow. looks an incredibly exciting player. Um, and looks, Gregor, as you were saying before the show, in our uh, planning chat, to have slightly given City, dare I say, another option in terms of the way they play. Yeah, I mean, you know, we were speaking about this before and that City were, kind of went, when City were struggling before, they went back to pass, 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 that's all you heard Pep, Pep saying mm. you know, pass, 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 this is us, this is our way and since then he signed you know, a, a blistering winger and you know a bit of a kind of a line of him now if you look at Grealish and, but, but Doku is the most sort of thrilling of the lot in terms mm. of his just pure pace mm. um, and I, th- I I think not only is that like another string to the bow in the way that Haaland is a, another string to the bow in the way they can play direct now I think it also when you he's always had players who hug the touchline, but when you have that big a threat on the touchline as as a ball carrier, it, it open it creates space for others inside those little sort of inside channels. Mm. Yeah. That's a, such an important part of the pitch now in terms of a uh, with him hugging the touchline. Yeah, mean, mm. just the inside little, from yeah, him. the little yeah. sort of half space they call it. So it's kind of attacking space between a fullback and a centre half, such a kind of weak point because. You know, if you stretch the pitch, then and that can you get inside that channel, then you're looking at cutbacks. That's the kind of classic Man City goal. And I think having having such you know dangerous ball carrying wingers with pace like that terrifies yeah. defenders yeah. and stretches them. I mean, you do, you have to get tight. You can't just leave them to run at you at pace. And sometimes you might even want to double up. And I think that is a knock on effect for the way that you'll see 
uh, you know, midfield runners uh, exploiting those spaces yeah. between the lines. And, and I was going to say Julian Alvarez would be the other two words yeah. I'd say yeah. if you're talking midfield runners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where he's already transforming with, in front of our eyes from a number nine to a uh, number nine, number ten, number eight, whatever. Number nine and a half. Yeah, a, just a pep creation <laughs> who, can, who can do so many things. But but his talent for making those runs is incredible. So you've always always tried to find those spaces, though. If you look back, yeah. if you think back a couple of years ago, how often do we see Kevin De Bruyne getting in that little half yeah. channel, inside mm. half channel, and playing cross? And often used to be trying to create overloads. Yeah. So you would have a mid, an, another midfielder. And maybe the fullback coming up wide, and you'd have like three men, and they try to manufacture a way of getting Kevin De Bruyne on the ball to play in that cross. If you've just got one rapid winger that does the same thing, opens up that space mm. for a for a runner. You know, it's like it's another way of finding a way of getting inside, mm. splitting the defence, and getting into that little half channel. I think a little moment of uh, applause for Rodri's past goal into the bottom corner. Oh. That's one of my favourite yeah. things in the football. Defensive yeah. midfield, just point. a little pass into the bottom corner. Yeah. It looks like he's barely touched it. Mm. Martin, we've just been talking about the Super League us being mm. a Super League Manchester City are the super team you know we've talked about Bayern Munich they looked good but they did concede three against a hapless Manchester United we're going to hopefully link into talking about Real Madrid and some of the other teams but our, our City far and away already and I know it's only one game but far and away the favourites for this competition well um, there is this club I don't know if anyone's heard of it called Barcelona <laughs> And they've started it quite well. I don't know if you. I don't know if you. I uh, think they. Uh, what is it? Five, five or six nil. over five. They scored the other night. And if you look at the way they've started the league, that's not too bad either. Everyone keeps talking about. Oh, it's a, all set up for City Real Madrid. Mm. I'm. I'm. I'm not quite sure about that. I think it might be set up for City Barcelona. But um, uh, look. Yeah, they're the team to beat, aren't yeah. they? They're quite clearly the team mm. to beat. On those two players, would you agree with Gregor and Johnny then, Doku and Alvarez, that they? a player that's new and then in Doku and a player that is we've seen before but seems to be adapting are you excited about both of them and what yeah, they can bring absolutely to because you know you, you look to Alvarez as he's Harden's you know he's Harden's mm. deputy yeah. and then suddenly he's Harden's partner and mm. you're thinking this is this is not what we it, this is not what we expected at all Doku, I love the I love the way that that Pep comes in and 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 everyone changes to do whatever Pep's doing at the time, like inverted fullbacks mm. or whatever, which mm. everyone's now got and no one had until Pep went. Well, you know, you can do this with a fullback. Luton don't, by the uh, way. Yeah, no, <laughs> Luton, no, no. But um, and so, but what I love is that he's got like, pass, pass. It's all about passing. Everyone's gone. Yeah, it's all about passing. He's gone. No, actually, it's about flying wingers. That's what it's yeah. about. And like, what? No, it's about passing, wasn't it? Oh, where's our flying winger? Going old school, um, back to the days. Of yeah, Andre I mean, that, like, and Ryan Giggs exactly. This is it. It's, and you can argue, obviously, there's nothing new under the sun because you know there's plenty of good teams that have had flying wingers before, and you named named a cracking one there. But um, no, I, I just think it. I, I just think it's great. He's an innovator. And it, it's it's a it's a pleasure to watch him do it. It's a it's so, a pleasure to see the season yeah. start and think, what's he going to do this year that, yeah. that everyone is going to yeah. be copying within about four months or five months? And and here we go. Yeah. This so, is it again. We saw enough from Bayern too to suggest that they're going to be yeah yeah, yeah that front four. That front four. That. Yeah. Nabri Musiala was Musiala was beautiful. We didn't really touch them much. Yeah. Uh, Sani and obviously Harry Kane like. 
and then they've got Coleman to come on mm. and tell who came on and scored. Like their firepower, firepower is going to give them a chance. Well, you're mentioning the other teams, and that's how I wanted to finish the show. Champions League, obviously, back. I do feel it's one of the competitions where we do really engage with all the other teams as well. So I wanted to ask for your favourite moments from the other games, Martin. Perhaps yours is Barcelona. I'm going to go first with the moment as I was sat in the offices last night, uh, and Leonardo Bonucci came on the screen <laughs> during Real Madrid and Union Berlin's match, uh, which was obviously the early kickoff and basically all on cue about four people went hey that's Benucci because <laughs> I'm sure I'm not the only one well maybe I am the only one who hadn't even noticed that he'd moved to Union Berlin still up to his old ways and yeah. it, I perhaps was telling that when, once he went off was when they finally conceded a goal with a ball bouncing around in the box you do wonder whether he was still on the pitch he might have hooked it away just before Jude Bellingham tapped it in uh, Gregor I'm going to come to you first because I think I know what you're going to say for, in terms of the other moment that caught your eye I've got a couple I mean the first is you know Brendan Rodgers always been an innovator you can't win a game Champions League game 11, in 11 games with 11 men try and go down to nine men maybe and see if we can do it that way <laughs> nope but the other game was Galatasaray because you know a few people thought they might be kind of you know, not that cautious to win it but to go to do something in the yeah. in the competition this year because of look at their team they had Lucas there's a, again a lot of former Premier League players uh, Torreira that was at Arsenal Hakim Ziyech uh, Wolf Zaha mm. and Tete once of Leicester came on to and combined to to score the equaliser, they went two 0 down against uh, Copenhagen, and had a, a spirited comeback. You've got Dries, Mer- Dries Mertens, mm-hmm. uh, Mauro Icardi. They've got Ndombele and Davidson Sanchez, who've just left first to go <laughs> uh, on the bench there. Um, so it's like there's some not huge names, but like very recognisable names there, mm-hmm. and I think they've had a right, mm-hmm. a, a decent go. And that was a that was a looked like a, a hell of an atmosphere when they scored in the 86th and 88th minute to. To get, to get a draw there so it'll be interesting to see yeah. how they go in the rest of the competition you'd look good in a Galatasaray shirt actually we might have to sort that out for the next time we discuss in the Champions League Johnny any other teams or moments that caught your yeah. eye well look I quite enjoyed Rafa Leal just falling over while attempting a, that was good fun uh, yeah it made, made me feel better because I'm making my return to five sides on Friday night and <laughs> it might be a, a Rafa Leal moment but I can claim it's one of them um, no I quite I, Jude Bellingham uh, the eyes are drawn to him so much and um, right at the end of that that match mm. where um, he hooked in the 94th minute winner was was a brilliant moment because five minutes before he had this um, a confrontation with Frederick Rono, the, the the union goalkeeper, who just went down quite easily in the box. And as he got up, Bellingham just got in his face. And I won't repeat what he said, but it was just pure Brummy invective. Yeah. And he turned from... <laughs> You know, super football. I just into a kid on the on the park again, yeah. and and it, he's just such a he's, this, he's such a human being for such a superstar. And it was another dude yeah. moment. Just very quickly on the superstar thing, though, because the goal was a tapping, uh, yeah. very fortunate, we should say. But it struck me that even on a pitch that included Luka Modric and things, yeah. this Real team are already looking yeah. to Jude Bellingham to make stuff happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could see it. You could see it coming. They were struggling to break anyway, break them down, and and I was saying to myself, it'll have to be Bellingham doing something and sure enough it was and I can't remember who the player was he took the ball off but there's no way anyone else was going to get that tap mm-hmm. in there's somebody else trying to do the David Nugent <laughs> and, and, and he just whipped it off and put it in but yeah it's his team it's his team and he, he made some incredible runs that they weren't picking up um, and, and you sort of think there's actually a lot more Jude mm. Bellingham to come for them if they can mm. if they can get him the ball enough Martin Barcelona the ones you caught your oh, eye oh yeah elsewhere. Barcelona but that's you know that's um 
yeah, Barcelona look good, look good. But um, yeah, on a completely trivial uh, point, I liked the fact that Newcastle looked like Newcastle, um, and they re- returned to European football for twenty years and decided not to wear some away strip that looked nothing like them. They were wearing black and white stripes. If AC Milan had been wearing their proper kit, Newcastle could have worn, mm. worn their proper kit as well and and worn black shorts and black socks and actually looked mm. even more like Newcastle as opposed to looking like Notts County or Juventus. And I loved the fact that Red Star Belgrade walked out against mm. Manchester City and looked like Red Star Belgrade. Yeah. They didn't have some weird every kit on that was like sort of black or navy blue. Mm. Or or fluorescent yellow or something like that. They wore what I remember as Red Star Belgrade, red and white striped shirts, red socks, red shirt, socks, red shorts. United's kit. I like United. I you said like it last it. week. I, I like that. I don't look anything like United, mm. but I did that joke last week about that's <laughs> that's okay because the team don't either. But but um, but actually, I quite like that kit because I love that trickler Brazilian thing yeah. where you've got three three stripes going on I love that but um, it doesn't look much like United but I do like the kit but I thought Red Star walking out and going oh yeah, yeah that's Red Star Belgrade I remember them I yeah. think it'd be good fun given I'm sure our listeners are slightly sceptical about your feelings towards Manchester United if we bought you the Manchester United kit yeah. Martin so maybe that's you know, the I we said could to happen. my missus last night I don't wear football kits but I said to, said to my missus last night if I was a kid and I supported Manchester mm. United. That would be the man you should. Sounds like he oh, wants it, one. listeners. Yeah, you I know. would. I really like it. I'm sorry, but I do. You know what to you do. Know, I like the kit a lot more than now, I like Now, just before we go, Manchester we are United in danger of being an anti-goalkeeper show because we're not mentioning Ivan Provodal's last-minute oh. equaliser for Lazio. Because you, you're all being too cool. You're trying to think of alternative <laughs> things when there's this one staring you straight yeah. in the face. Uh, Bill Edgar has done a brilliant piece yeah. about where that header ranks among goalkeepers goals scored by goalkeepers so you can read that on the times website now it's worth watching that goal back which you you can you can do if you read the piece because it's an incredible run he makes it's a great run it's not yeah yeah, it's not just he's not standing there and it hits him which is which is another part of goals with goalkeepers sometimes they get in the box and they go uh what do i do now he knew exactly what he was doing uh the carlisle goal was it carlisle where the goalkeeper kept him up yeah absolute crackers they're all listed in bill edgar's piece so make sure you check it out now we are going to finish instead i thought we were going to finish but my colleague here, Gregor Robson, has got a brand new best mate. I thought it was me, but it's not. It's a famous celebrity. And uh, <laughs> I thought, he, what he thought I was, was going to tee him up nicely just to talk about his really interesting piece about Brighton and their fans before mm-hmm. they return to Europe. But I'm actually going to embarrass him at the fact that he's just got an email <laughs> from Norman Cook, a.k.a. Fatboy Slim, to say thanks for the piece, mate. So come on, tell us all about your Brighton piece and your new best mate. Uh, best mate is pushing it, but it was... Uh, you know, I'm not starstruck that often, but uh, oh, he's loving it. Uh, interviewed Fatboy Slim, yeah, for um, for a piece about Brighton's journey um, from from homelessness and and the war years, as everyone I, I spoke to described <laughs> the the period of about you know almost a decade and a half uh, uh, between like 19, 1995 and 2011 when they moved into the, the new stadium at Falmer. And all the struggles they had to, you know, first to, to get rid of the owners who sold the Goldstone ground, then to, uh, after they were ground shearing in Gillingham, to, to get the club back to the city, and then to campaign to get the new ground at Falmer. So uh, it's been a, you know, I think just the Brighton's journey into into Europe has been a, a, an opportunity just to sort of remind ourselves of the journey that, that they've, they've been on. And, and Fatboy Slim has been part of that because he, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, he moved to Brighton uh, in the 80s to go to college and he went with a flatmate because they left a stone's throw from the Goldstone and he said he fell in love with the club and 
then when they were at their lowest point, um, he says it was basically blackmail by, uh, by Dick Knight, the, the then chairman, to, who kind of took him out for lunch and over several bottles of wine said, um, I think if we don't, uh, you know, if we don't get some investment, we're going to have to sell. I think it might have been Bobby Zamora or someone. And so, like, <laughs> he's kind of tugging at his heartstrings. <laughs> and so he, he he sponsored the club and then he invested some money to. He's still a shareholder, min, minority shareholder. But um, yeah, it was great to to talk with him and and other people about the about the journey and you know the remarkable rise of of Brighton that shows no sign of stopping. Absolutely, mm. and you're wearing blue and white. I noticed, mm. so uh, I'm sure you'll pretend it's for Scotland. But do maybe that's you want a, do you want a, a, a little fat boy slim? Yeah, fat, yeah, yeah, a little yeah, fat. Yeah, well, it's not a fact or whatever. It's just a, it's just a little steer. That if 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 uh, listeners don't know this, if you like um, a uh, right here, right now by Fat Boy Slim, if you like that mm. piece of music, if you the, the sample is this amazing instrumental track by a group called the James Gang. It's a track called Ashes, the Rain, and I. And it's all there. And what he does is it, the sample he takes is actually from the, the fade out. It says, it says this it, mm. brilliant instrumental track is fading out. You hear the sample that is uh, right here, right now. But it's a brilliant piece of music. Ashes, the Rain and I by the James Gang. Look that up. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Martin Samuel on football kits and on music. That is the special <laughs> game podcast spin-off that we're all waiting for. Johnny Northcroft, Martin and Gregor Robson, thank you very much for joining me and we wish Brighton luck, of course, in their debut, in fact, in Europe against AEK Athens. Thanks very much for joining me, gentlemen. We'll have plenty to discuss on Monday's show and maybe we'll be talking about Mikel Arteta substituting his goalkeeper. <laughs> we'll see you then. listening to me daisy apple's iphone disassembly robot is dismantling an iphone into lots of recyclable parts that's how apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods thanks daisy there's more to iphone small details are big surfaces tight corners are odd shapes flat rounded textured or tall whatever your next project there's a spray paint pattern that's just right because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.